Welcome to the Slam Radio Podcast, featuring the Michael McCoy Show. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Monday. I hope everyone had a great weekend so far. And thank you for tuning in to the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM Channel 145 Slam Radio. And um, we're just going to get right into it. We're going to start off. I know there's a lot of NBA Finals talk. We'll get to that in the next segment or two. But um, I just can't get over how much Kings football has been kicking ass for the past three weeks. So I figured... How about start off the show with that? And none better than talk Kings football with them. My brother from another mother, if you do not see the resemblance, then I don't know what you've been looking at. But Marsh Thomas on the line, you know him from stateoftheu.com. And you also know him from Pours Up Podcast, a really successful podcast they got going on. Marsh, man, long time no see. How you been? I've been good, man. I've been good. I mean, the thing is, we talk all the time. The crazy, like, the crazy thing is, we talk so much, but it feels like it's been a minute. I'm doing good, but um, great, we- great win this past weekend. We're three and zero. I can't stop smiling, and <laughs> I, I, I'm loving it, man. I hear you, man. Listen, I know, though everybody knows that follows you on Twitter that um. You know, you have a, a nice disdain for the Knowles. Tell me where that win ranks in Marsh's list of Knowles victories from Miami, man. Because I know you were you, – you, you talk about that 2018 victory a lot. Coming back from 20, your boy Brevin, uh, you know, catches a touchdown pass to have Miami go up. But 52 to 10? What is his rank, man? Uh, you know, I – I don't, I wouldn't put it above like 2018 or 2017 or like some of the O2 games that I was at. Um, but okay. it, this one was definitely special. It, it just felt weird that, I mean, it was, it, it just didn't feel like as much of a rivalry in the week leading up. I mean, I still had the, the hatred in my heart. I always do. Right. But, you know, it, it was a weird rivalry week because Florida State, you know, isn't very good. And so, it was every, every time we beat every time we beat Florida State. It's uh, it's special. So um, of it, it was yeah, it was a great win. Was not expecting that big of a blowout. I was shocked honestly, and <laughs> I was telling people, man, I'm like, listen, I, I put out a tweet out there, and I think I bookmarked it so I can retweet it later, but I forgot about it. But I said, you guys, you guys know we're hanging fifty on these guys. I mean, the only reason we didn't hang fifty on Louisville is because. You know, there was a drop there was a drop touchdown pass by Harley over and by the pylon over there. But I mean, I have full confidence. And you know me, Marsh. Um, I respect the hell out of that rivalry. I respect that of you know. I'm, I'm sorry. I have a lot of respect for any rivalry, especially that one. But uh, FSU came in limping. Okay, and I just didn't give a damn. I saw it, and I'm so glad that they they made me look good with their prediction. But um. Yeah, man, an ass-cooking of epic proportions, four in a row, if I'm not mistaken, that puts the series lead to 35 to 30, I think. Some, and um, yeah. I don't know. So, yeah, so, so, that, what was that? I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was, I was trying to think about what it was, and I was like, yeah, something like that. Yeah, and so um, they, you know, they did so well, they got to Marion Terry deciding to opt out. Is, is that confirmed? I, I mean, I just saw rumors of it on uh, social media. I didn't – apparently, you know, it first came out on Sunday. I didn't see it until yesterday. But, I mean, we he, he did not record a catch. He had one rush for minus four yards. So, props to Ivy and Blades that, I mean, yeah, they, they sent him packing. They literally sent him packing. One year we sent their coach packing. The next year we sent their star receiver packing. Next year, who knows, maybe we send their program down to G5 level. Who knows, man? But um, let me ask you a question. Miami offensively has been humming, obviously. 
there's really no need to get into how or why. Obviously, Derrick King, uh, lastly. But what about that offense? Has you just so, so, so excited? Is it the improvement from the O-line that has yet to allow sack? Is it the, the, the rushing the rushing game in which Cam Davis is leading the – I'm sorry, Cam Harris is leading the way? Or, or the options at receiver, man, what has you giddy? I mean, honestly, everything that you just said. Obviously, it all starts with the duo of Rhett Lashley, the offensive coordinator, right. and then quarterback De'Ara King because – Without those two, none of this is happening. De'Ara King is is a godsend. I mean, this is the first time in a very, very long time that Miami Hurricanes fans can be this confident in the play of their quarterback. I mean, he hasn't thrown an interception this year. He's rarely put the ball in harm's way. He's just – I'm so confident in our offense right now and our ability to move, but – um, it's it's so much more than that. We're averaging 43 points a game. The offensive line, which gave up the most sacks of any Power 5 school in the country last year, like you said, has not allowed a sack this year. And they're also, um, you know, crane holes for Harris, Knighton, and Cheney. We're rushing the ball for over 230 yards a game, and we were one of the worst in the country at that. So, And Brevin Jordan is is playing really well. The, the mm-hmm. receivers are they're tight in the state. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Will Mallory's number two. Um, yeah, thank you. <laughs> the wide receivers are are coming along. Um, you know, there's there's bound to be some hiccups there, but I, I think they're they're getting better. I a lot of people are giving Mark Pope some crap because of some punt fumbles, which I understand. But yeah. at wide yeah. receiver, I think he's getting better. So I love this offense. I am so happy. I am too, man. And you said it about Mark Pope. I'm glad you brought him up because he. Um, a lot of people have been getting on him. What I like the most about, uh, you know, the way the offense or the ball's being distributed, the ball has been distributed, I'm sorry, is that King is not afraid to go back to him. And I think that's so important, man, because Pope is supposed to be, and we he's yet to even crack that, but he's supposed to be everything in terms of receiver. You know, highly, highly, highly touted guy coming to Miami South Ridge after winning a state championship with his boy D. Wiggins, who was just looking like, I don't know, Lamar Thomas out there with long legs and strides and just catching deep balls every game, two years in a row that he breaks one against FSU. And um, I think they got to keep, you know, throwing the ball to Mark to kind of build that confidence for him. Let me ask you a question, though. If those hiccups kind of still keep happening, uh, offensive coordinator Marsh with, you know, his offensive coordinator hat, when do you say, okay, you want to know what? We're going to still keep throwing him the ball, but we, we need to start breaking up some of these younger guys because there's no reason for uh, a guy this far in the program to keep having freshman mistakes. When do you say that that is? You know, I, I think it's – you can start looking at that as a very real possibility here really soon. I mean, we can keep – because I really want Pope and, and, and Mike Harley's had a few drops, and, you know, you want these guys to become who we think they can be, but if they're still struggling, you know, you can't keep – giving them chances. I mean, you can, but you also have to, you know, allow other players to show what they have. And Michael Redding, you know, he caught a touchdown on Saturday. Uh, You know, Keyshawn Smith is getting separation from corners. Get Xavier Strepper out there. Like, if you can't keep – you got to – I don't, I don't want to say there has to be consequences, but there has to be some accountability that if you're not going to get the job done, then you're not going to get as many snaps. That's just how it is. That's how it is. That's the Kane way, man. I mean, there's always the way that things used to be here. And no, I don't 
let me let me let me let me phrase this correctly. Um, I'm not trying to go back in time here, but uh, you know that was the Kane way. You know, you either shape up or ship out because the way they used to recruit is they're gonna try to recruit somebody better than you. So you got to believe that there's guys that are behind Pope or or Harley that can do the same thing, if not better. So uh, we heard a lot of great things about Keyshawn in the spring. Uh, he was kind of upset at himself at the way he went went up for that catch in which he got res, uh, separation, how you how you just talked about. Went up with one hand, kind of felt like he could have went up with two, but, um, you know, fresh from mistake, whatever the case was. But we got options, man. Same thing in the running game, that three-headed monster, Harris, Cheney, Knighton. And then you got Ed Franklin coming back in. And who knows if – I saw you tweet a little bit ago about uh, Cam possibly it. leaving if he has a good year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. I thought you were talking to recruiting. But, um, uh, yeah, I think Cam does leave after this season just because running backs – I get running backs leaving early just because they have shorter career spans. You know, they're, right. taking, they're taking a beating. And Cam is having uh, a, a heck of a year. I mean, he's leading the ACC in rushing, 311 yards, five touchdowns. He is averaging 8.2 yards a carry. <laughs> 8.2 yards a carry. So – Go ahead. I mean, go go ball out in the NFL. I mean, Jalen yeah, Knight dude. and Don Chaney are looking good. Thad Franklin coming in, and hopefully, hopefully, we can add Amari Daniels to the recruit, recruiting class as well. So, the running backs. Um, you know, a lot of people were very excited about the passing game heading into the season with this new offense. You know, and rightfully so. But I kept right. telling people we are going to run the ball a lot more than you guys. Oh think. yeah, we are. And I don't care how we move the ball. I don't care if it's passing or running. I just want points. So um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's the running backs have been playing great. One of the one of probably the bright spot of the offense, if uh, besides De'Ara King. You just said that Cam Harris is averaging north of eight yards per carry, and you can say that the incumbents for lack of a better phrase, best running back in the conference, Travis Etienne, right now, looking at his stats, 25 carries, 170 yards, 6.8 average. Mind you, he probably didn't even play the second half of, you know, even that Citadel game, but still, the fact that Kim Harris is up there, I'm sorry, yeah, is up there, um, you know, that's a big deal. Uh, Etienne also has one touchdown only. Um, but, yeah, man, this offense is just so many good things. to run. You know, one of my favorite things is finally, 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 we saw it a little bit last year, but we, we're not going to talk about your favorite offensive coordinator who's not coaching <laughs> running backs at uh, Cincinnati. But we kind of saw last year, just not to the effect that it should have been, two tight ends on the field simultaneously. It is finally working out the way it's supposed to have been, and I cannot have you more thrilled. You know, well, both of us, we're big Mallory guys, so how are you feeling about that? About Mallory? Yeah. I think it – he needs to be – he needs more targets. I mean, we, we talk about the young wide receivers, you know, getting snaps. Throw the ball to Mallory more. I mean, look what he did against Louisville. His first catch is a touchdown. And then if he didn't have that penalty or if there wasn't oh, a penalty, man. that was a 75-yard yeah. gain. Mallory runs like a wide receiver. And he yeah. looked so good. And he had to leave the game early, I believe, on Saturday. Um, he did. But people are – starting to to understand what I've been saying for so long is what we've been saying for so long. I know he had some drops last year, but he is really, really good. And I've been saying from, you know, the day that Lashley got hired that they, he loves to use tight ends and um, Brevin Jordan already has more touchdowns than he 
this year than he did last season. And Mallory, you know, he, he does need more targets, but um, I, I, I think it'll ease into it. So I, I really like what I see from him. Underrated blockers they are, too. Uh, Brevin gets his nose in there. Underrated blocking, man, big time. Mallory's not afraid to, to muck it up. Uh, let's talk about the offensive line, dude, because surprise start there against FSU last week and um, with Zion coming in, and he actually looked really, really good. How do you feel about – I mean, I, I'm not sure what the situation was with Campbell. Can you kind of elaborate on that if you know what that was? And if maybe – I don't know. Obviously, the, the depth chart hasn't come out for uh, Clemson, but is that kind of a lockdown? Are things changing at that left tackle? Um, you know what? I didn't even notice that Zion was at left tackle uh, during <laughs> the game. I, I found out about it, like, after or on Sunday. Okay. And um, But obviously, he didn't give me a reason to – to yeah. you know, know his name during the game because he played right. really well. So he did. I, I like, I've always liked Zion. I think he was put in a really hard position last season um, as a true freshman, but he has put, put on some athletic weight. He's big, but it's really yeah. athletic weight and he can move. And he, you know, he, I think he fits this Rhett Lashley offense, just like, you know, Ja'Kai Clark and some of the other linemen. And I don't, I wouldn't be surprised if he does start again against Clemson. Uh, the Clemson okay. has a, you know, they have a pretty good defensive line. So whether it's Campbell or Zion, um, you know, they're going to have their hands full. It's a good problem to have. And by the way, you're listening to the Michael McCoy show here on Sirius XM channel 145 slam radio. And I'm joined by no other than Marsh Thomas. Always a pleasure to talk Canes football with him. We're only going to do it for two seconds, but trust me, we can do it for two hours or two days, even easy, not a problem. And, um, I got to ask you, man, what was your favorite play from the FSU game? Because I got a few. Give me, give me your favorite play on offense or a couple plays on defense that kind of just made you laugh or just say, wow. Hmm. I mean, obviously the first touchdown to Brevin, uh, just because okay. you know, Brevin's my guy. I loved the D. Wiggins touchdown. It was good to yes. see him get his first score. The play where Jalen Phillips got that interception and Nesta just drove <laughs> the quarterback into the ground. I don't know what that QB was thinking, but um, I, and I think, you know, another one of my favorite plays was near the goal line. Uh, Florida State was driving and they were thrown towards the end zone and Bubba Bolden, who I've been talking about, you know, I've been talking about for a long time, comes out of nowhere like a rocket and tips yes. it right into Al Blades Jr.'s hands for the interception. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, there's ton of ton of plays to choose from, but that play really, I mean, I, I watched it again last night. I'm like, wow, that was that he, was neat. They, I saw that on replay. Uh, somebody tweeted it in slow motion, and he, in slow motion, he was moving at a pretty fast speed. Man, that guy is so. And, and people use this without, without really, I guess, knowing the context of it. But very, very range. You can get from point A to point B in a blink, and. Um, that's a top three safety in America, man. I know a lot of people like to call him the best safety in America. I haven't seen a bunch of other teams play. Pittsburgh has a really nice safety as well. But, um, boy, this good, this, that, that Bolden has the goods, man. And I'm so glad that he's over here. What's going to suck about going into the Clemson game, we're going to talk about that in the next segment, is mine is going to be minus Gervin Hall uh, for a ridiculous, uh, you know, targeting penalty he got out there. How did you feel about that call, man? Because I was kind of pissed off. Because I, he didn't I, I hate the whole ejection part of targeting. Uh -huh. I think I, – I, I feel like you and I have talked about this. I think that they should 
make it like the NBA with technical fouls. Like you should get two. Um, that's my opinion, but it, it sucks to see. Um, hope, I, I think they're going to try to appeal it, but um, you know, the NCAA isn't the biggest fans of Miami. So I, I feel like every single game for the past like two years, Miami has had a player ejected for targeting. And honestly, it's, I don't know what it is. I, maybe it's, we need to practice, you know, better tackling techniques or, but there are times in those situations where you can't really do anything. No. And that was one of them. Yeah. Most of that them are like, I don't, yeah. I don't know if I've seen any um, of our players like ejected for tar- Like when they get ejected, I've never really seen like, was it Marvin Wilson that got kicked out on Saturday? Yes. That, yes. Was, that, was like, that looked intentional. <laughs> Yes, that was egregious. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so I not you don't see many hurricanes get kicked out for targeting, and um, it, it's a situation where they they just couldn't get out of the way. So it sucks. It sucks, NCAA, and you got to do something about it. But we got to talk about the Clemson game, and we're going to do that in the next segment. So those of you that have been sticking around with us throughout the first segment, uh, stick around for another one. We've got to pay some bills. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Michael McCoy Show here on Sirius XM. Channel 145, Slam Radio with Marsh Thomas. Keep it locked. We'll be right back. I get it. Your desk has been there for you. Holding up your computer, your unused stapler, and that plant you forgot to water. But maybe it's time to leave your desk and spend your lunch break volunteering with Meals on Wheels. Doing Meals on Wheels for me is the joy that I look for at the end of my week. I'll come to the door with one meal and I'll walk away with a full heart. Drop off a warm meal and get more than you expect. Volunteer at americaletsdolunch.org. That's americaletsdolunch.org. Brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and whatever, just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. We'll be back with the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Good morning, amigo. So that Never one makes a little more sense. Backwards, not even to get... How do you even, like... Well, hold on. That might be actually difficult to... Para atrás ni para coger impulso. Don't even go back a step, to, even if it's just to go forward. It seems Always like it's a long forward. explanation. Yeah, it's hard it to... It seems like you have to write... Forward. It sounds like you're two, 250 words. Explain this sentence. That phrase needs an instruction manual. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning, amigo. Weekdays from 7 to 11, only on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. I couldn't speak or walk. This is high blood pressure. Get back on your plan. Go to loweryourhbp.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Now we're back with the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. All right, everyone. Thank you very much for sticking around with Marsh and I throughout that last break. You're listening to the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM Channel 145 Slam Radio. Spent the first segment talking about that ass kicking from a couple weeks ago, 52 to 10 uh, Miami Hurricanes that they put on FSU. I know it's a couple weeks old, guys, but there's never a bad time to talk about how much Miami dominates an arch rival from up north. And uh, got a week off, and they will be headed to 
Clemson, South Carolina, Death Valley, another nationally televised game. Won't be surprised if game day is out there as well. Top 10 matchup, and it's going to be Miami's biggest regular season game in a very long time, okay? Obviously, Manny's uh, biggest game of his career, coach, head coach-wise. So I don't know how to feel about this one, Marsh. Help me out, man. What are your thoughts going into that game? How are you feeling as a fan? Um, you know, I, I, everyone knows me. I'm a realist. I, I don't see us going into Clemson and, and winning. I mean, this is the elite of the elite. They're the number one team in the country. I don't know the last time that Miami played the number one team in the country. What this game is going to be is it's going to be a measuring stick. And, you know, we've all heard that term thrown around for this game a lot on social media, but that's exactly what it is. You want to see, um, you know, if this three and O record and number eight ranking for Miami has merit like it yeah. and the thing is I'm not I hope Hurricanes fans I hope Canes fans don't lose their minds if we lose because it, we, I just want to see I want to see us be competitive we can't have you know uh like the last time we played Clemson up in Charlotte where it was over uh in the locker room before kickoff <laughs> I want to see us move the ball I want to see us yeah. shut down Trevor Lawrence and Travis uh, Etienne who scares me like hell. oh my gosh he's so good but this is a chance for Manny Diaz and his team to see how close they are or how much or how far they still have to go in comparison right. to the elite of college football so um it, it's going to be a very interesting matchup I I just want it to be within 10 points that's all I'm asking like I I just want it to – I want Miami to be around, and I want them to, you know, show the country like, okay, you know, this team, they didn't win, but they put up a good fight against the number one team in the country yeah. with the best quarterback and the best running back in the country and the best – one of the best head coaches in the country. So – Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, listen, Miami – I'm not going to pick Miami to win, but I'm not going to sit here and say that they cannot win, Okay. What's going to take for them to win is them pretty much playing perfect football and a little bit of luck. And I'm not ashamed in saying that because the best teams, the championship teams, the greatest teams of all time, they all have luck on their side at some point or another throughout their season. So, um, heck, even the 0-1 Canes had some luck. Look at when, you know, at Boston College that year. So uh, it, it's necessary. Not, not, let me not say necessary, but it's, it's there, all right? It's something that can definitely happen. Um, I'm with you, man. If, if Miami does come out on the losing end, I just don't want it to be like, yeah, they don't even belong in the top 10 because I want to talk about what you said about the rankings. There are some people that have, like Kirk Herbstreit, he came in, put a, put a top four in there, and he has Miami at fourth. And he specifically said, I'm only ranking teams that are playing, only ranking teams that I've seen. So obviously no Big Ten schools, no Pac-12 schools. Let me rewind. I'm trying to connect the dots here for you. Back to 2017, all right? Miami goes up to number two. I'm not afraid in saying it, but in your heart of hearts, Marsh, was that a number two team? No, no. I, okay. I, and I say it all the time. That 2017 team um, was, was very overrated. Besides, honestly, the Notre Dame game, which every, right. you have those rare nights where literally everything works. But besides right. that, I mean, there were games where we, had, where we barely escaped against one in seven UNC. We struggled against a, you know, a bad FSU team. We, we almost lost to Toledo. So I think this team right now is, is better than the 2017 team. And I have no, um, 
I, I don't like, I, I say that without hesitation. I mean, we actually have an offense this year. We have a pretty solid defense that's coming together. So, right. I, yeah, I think this team has a ton of potential. And the, the biggest thing for me is say we lose or win against Clemson. I want us to have our, that same energy for the rest of the year. Cause we have, I, I want, I don't want us to go into the pit game the week after, you know, feeling down on ourselves or feeling too cocky because we've seen that in years past. And yep. that's, and that's no, uh, that's no secret. Uh, no. In past years, one loss has turned into four losses in a row, which ruins a season. And we just cannot have that happen. That I'm honestly looking, I'm more concentrated almost on that aspect than playing okay. to be. Okay. No, that's a great point, dude, because FSU for a while there, they beat us and it cost us several games in a row. Um, so I, you very, very, very valid point. All right. Let me go back to the rankings thing. Cause I know you said that, you know, obviously that it was an inflated ranking back in 2017. And although I do feel Miami deserves to have a very respectable ranking, where are, where does Marsh rank Miami? You think that number eight, that number eight ranking is valid right now? In terms of, you know, the teams that are playing right now, I'd say that eight is fair. I think four is a little – I mean, I, I, I love that Kirk Herbstreet is a Miami fan now, but, you know, four is a little – it's a little heavy. It's a little much, and it puts a huge bullseye on our back. It does. Um, and we love that, I, I think, but I, I think the eight – ranking is very very valid I mean look at what we just did to Florida State look at what we did at Louisville I mean the last two games we've scored a total of 99 points Jesus, <laughs> Jesus that sounds beautiful oh yeah. my god <laughs> you want to know what I take most out of these two all three wins this season Miami has led the world in losing games that they are supposed to win since God knows when and Miami is not only winning them but winning them convincingly and that that holds a special place in my heart man that makes me feel great it really does I mean when when in the past five years could you really say yeah I our defense could give up 34 points but I still think we would win there's no way in hell (laughs) we couldn't even score 20 last year and so the fact that we can go on the road and put up 47 and not back down in the second half which we've been known to do it, it 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 tells me a lot about this team and how far they've come. Clemson Tigers, 2-0. and Actually, I'm sorry, they'll probably be 3-0 and by the time that they play in Miami. They host the Cavaliers on the – I'm sorry? I was going to say they play Virginia this weekend. Yeah. So, like, chances are they'll be 3-0. and um, And then Miami. So, let's just count that a win, right? Uh as of now, their rankings, I'm not their rankings, I'm sorry, their stats, I had them pulled up. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is doing magical numbers, but he's only thrown the ball like three times. All right, here it is right here. So he's thrown 519 yards, okay, 30 of 37 passing. Mind you, Citadel was one of their opponents. He's completed 81% of his passes, four touchdowns, no interceptions. His deepest uh, completion is 54 yards. Travis Etienne. 25 carries, 170 yards, 6.8 yards per carry with one touchdown. His longest run is only 29 yards. What are you doing with not a 75-yard touchdown pass, uh, catch or, or run, Travis? What's wrong with you? And then their leading receivers, 
Amora Rogers with 134 yards, uh, one touchdown. Frank Ladson, that name should sound familiar to Miami fans. Six, I'm sorry, four catches, 108 yards, and two touchdowns. I am dying to see that matchup with him and Ivy. How do you feel about that? I think um, we have to shut down Amari Rogers in the passing game. It's the, it's kind of the same. We, we've had similar situations the past two weeks where, um, you know, Louisville has Tutu Outwell and FSU has Tamari and Terry, who's a very talented player. And I think it, uh, Blake Baker made it a point that they were going to really, you know, shut them down in the passing game and not them, not allow them to, to go crazy because some teams know that we've had problems in the past with DJ Ivy and, and some of our cornerbacks, but they've yeah. really, really stepped up. So, you know, force Trevor to go somewhere else, force Trevor to, um, you know, tuck it and run. And if he does, Jalen Phillips is as, is as athletic. Um, he's athletic enough to chase down a Trevor Lawrence and not yep. um, let him run free. So my biggest key though, is, is shutting down ETN because of our shaky run defense. <sighs> Louisville rushed the ball for over 200 yards. Hawk, Javion Hawkins had like 160 yards rushing that game. Even FSU rushed for over 100 yards. So um, the run defense definitely has to step up. And this is the best running back in the country. So one thing that I will note is that uh, Clemson's offensive line is definitely the weakest point of their, uh, of their offense. So we need to take advantage of it. Yeah, man. Yeah. And what other, what better way to do it than with the pastors that Miami has? I mean, can Rousseau come back for just one game? Can he just come back for just one game? And by the way, listening to the Michael McCoy show on Sirius XM channel 145 slam radio. Um, pleasure to be joined by my buddy, my brother, uh, Marsh Thomas, state of the U.com and the very successful Fours Up podcast. We're talking a little Canes football. FSU last segment, how, well, what Miami needs to do uh, to try to beat Clemson this segment. And I'm totally with you, man. Uh, because if, 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 if football one-on-one, all right, if you don't have to pass the ball, don't. And if you can keep it on the ground all day, then that's, go ahead for it. So, yes, Etienne has to uh, be at somewhat at least contained, man, because you're not going to stop that guy. He's going to get his. So do something in there to at least slow that down. Uh, make I would love to see Trevor Lawrence pass the ball 40-plus you know, times, make him somewhat predictable. But the only way you make a, a team predictable is if you're ahead. For that that might happen for Miami, I don't know. Um, special teams going to play a huge part. We got to get points whenever we can, man. So Borregales, Borregales has to be on his game. No worries about that. Headley with the same thing. Uh, we're going to need, you know, that punt team to give the, de- the defense some good field position. But um, Travis Etienne, man, that, that speed is just it's, – it's, it's killer. It sucks. Yeah. I mean, to me, the, the, the two biggest matchups for this game is our offensive line against their defensive line, which is really good, and then our defensive line, which is getting really good against their offensive line, which is, you know – average so and also they the, another big thing is that they're secondary i think they lost three starters in the secondary last year so you know, use mallory use brevin run pope deep so yeah. and give king plenty of time to throw or just let him run yeah. Yeah. I, I don't care yeah. just move the ball and and score early you don't want to get out of the game early and you know have clemson up 21 to zero in the second quarter that cannot happen no, 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 no. So they could take advantage early 
um, convert your third downs and just, just, just put points on the board. You know, something just came across my mind and I doubt it's going to happen because you take points as they come. All right. And nothing, I mean, what's, it's, it's kind of like uh, being disappointed with a win or pissed off with the win. You kind of don't want to complain about scoring a touchdown if, and when you can, I'm getting to this. I'm wondering if maybe there's a chance that we kind of pull back the reins a little bit on tempo and maybe use it when we have to, just to keep Clemson's um, offense off the field, just to do that. Um, kind of like Georgia Tech, whenever you got the ball, you had to capitalize and score because you were only going to have the ball, if you were lucky, 20 minutes a game because they ate clock running the ball. I'm wondering if that's a thing for Miami. I don't know. I have no idea. But um, the other thing you were talking about matchups, and I thought about this the moment that Miami signed him on the dotted line, Brett Lasty versus Brent Venables. Mm-hmm. That's a chess match going to be worth, worth watching, dude. Yeah. I, and when it comes to time of possession, I think it really just depends on um, the specific team they're going up against. Because if you look at Louisville, um, I think the Cardinals contr- like owned the time of possession, but we had two 75-yard touchdowns. We were scoring quickly. Exactly. And then FSU, we had longer drives, 14, 15-play yeah. drives where we, were, we had the ball. And so it really just depends on what team you're going up against, what kind of defense um, they have. You know, I, I think you know, how athletic and how deep their depth that defensive line is. So right. And, and Clemson has a deep defensive line, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see uh, what, what kind of offense we see out of Miami because I don't think we've seen um, – I still think there's plenty to see from Rhett Lashley's playbook. Oh, yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. I, I, and we've seen, <laughs> we've seen some explosive and we've seen some fireworks already, but even with that said, just like how you alluded to, I think that there's a lot more uh, to be uncovered. But, um, man, I'm just going to go ahead and put my happy hat on Miami wins that game. I'm going to say it, Marsh. Miami's not losing in the regular season. I know they're going to have their target. I know that I, – I, listen, I did it. I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. But <laughs> Miami wins that game. They're not losing in the regular season. But you want to know what? It's going to be hard to beat a Clemson team twice. Mm-hmm. It's hard to beat any football team twice in a regular season. Um, you know, how it happens in the NFL. You have, you know, division play and – a lot of times it's it's split because it's hard to beat one team twice. So if Miami loses and looks good, I'm okay with a moral victory this time around. But the real victory that I want against Clemson is the one in December. I was just about to say that I'd rather lose to them in September. Uh, and I, yeah, I'd rather lose to them in September um, than lose to them in December. Like I, I think you. if we lose this game and if it's you know somewhat close, and if we play them again in Charlotte, I. I I wouldn't be really really confident, but it is just like you said. It's hard to beat a team twice yeah. Um, yeah. in any sport. So I hear you, man. I wish it was so. this weekend. I really wish we were playing this weekend and and the bye was after Clemson because yeah, we're really hitting point. on all cylinders right now. We are. We are. I just. I think, I hope that uh, everybody knows Miami sucked after buys last week. I don't think that's going to be the case this year because I think Ed Reed is going to be a very important guy around the Hex Center for the next couple of weeks because he's going to know, you're going to let everybody know, hey, listen, this is it, okay? He's going to tell them what it takes to be the number one ranked team, all right? Uh, it's going to be on the road, but listen, it really isn't on the road because there's going to be a third of that Clemson, of that Death Valley crowd in there, but... 
We'll see, man. We, it, 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 we'll talk about it. How about that? We'll talk about it again after the game right here on the show. Awesome. Awesome. Marsh, man, I really appreciate your time, dude. I know that, um, as, uh, that you're not on the show and it's my fault, dude, but I'm, I'm going to do a better, sh- a better job of, uh, reaching out to you so we can do more of this. Hey man, you're good. <laughs> Sorry, I'm coughing. <laughs> you're good, man. <laughs> I always love coming on the show and we always love having you on fours up. I know you're, you're probably our most regular guest, but that's just, I mean, we were talking about it yesterday over text. It's, it's different when you and I are talking canes. It, it, we have yeah, that, man, we have that bond, man. We've been doing it for, for a long time. 2018. So. I, it's nuts. I already think about it, but all right, man, you do good. You do well. And uh, we'll talk later, but uh, we'll be back after this break, folks. Keep it locked here on the Michael McCoy Show, Sirius XM Channel 145, Slam Radio. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. I couldn't speak or walk. This is high blood pressure. Get back on your plan. Go to loweryourhbp.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and whatever, just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. We'll be back with The Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Good morning, amigo. Just the two of us. We can make it if we try. Just the two of us. You and I. Well, you, got the, you forgot that. Just the two of us. Oh, the two of us. We're building castles in the sky. Just the two of us. Go. You and I. There you go. Good morning, amigo. Weekdays from 7 to 11, only on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. I get it. Your desk has been there for you. Holding up your computer, your unused stapler, and that plant you forgot to water. But maybe it's time to leave your desk and spend your lunch break volunteering with Meals on Wheels. Doing Meals on Wheels for me is the joy that I look for at the end of my week. I'll come to the door with one meal and I'll walk away with a full heart. Drop off a warm meal and get more than you expect. Volunteer at americaletsdolunch.org. That's americaletsdolunch.org. Brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Now we're back with the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you very much for sticking around with us throughout that last break with Marsh Thomas talking some Canes football and kind of previewing the Clemson uh, game with Miami being on a bye week this week. But uh, you're listening to the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM channel 145 Slam Radio. And I have a very, very special guest, very proud of Mr. Abramson, who we're going to talk to, Jay Abramson, and I promise you, after you hear this interview, you're going to be a fan of his as well. Jay Abramson is a principal lecturer at uh, Arizona State University with 39 years of teaching experience. Uh, Prior to arriving to ASU, he taught at community colleges and served as chair of Midlands Technical College in Columbia, South Carolina. He has also authored four textbooks, including Pre-Calculus, College Algebra, and Trigonometry. Wow, that's just something that's not my forte. I respect him for that. (laughs) Um, He's also authored four video books, Pre-Calculus, Pre-Calculus with Co-Requisites, College Algebra, and um, and Trigonometry. So he is also the author of the podcast, History of College Football, 
The link to his podcast can be found on his Twitter profile, which is at H-I-S-T-C-O-L football. Obviously, horse, sorry, shorts for history of college football. And that, of course, is the reason we're talking for, to him today. Mr. Abramson, good morning. How are you? Very good. I want to thank you, Michael, for allowing me on your show. It has been my honor. Thank you again. No, thank you for having, for coming on here and sharing your time because, I mean, we met up on Twitter and I saw what your podcast was all about and I was immediately, immediately, uh, my interest was piqued because I love history. I'm a history buff and you combine that with college football, it's like the perfect marriage. So um, thank you again. So ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be on here for a couple segments and I got some questions for Mr. Abramson. Would you prefer Mr. Abramson or would you prefer Jay? I prefer Jay. Thank you, sir. All right. All right, cool. We'll do that, Jay. And um, so, yeah, uh, we, we're, we're going to go ahead and get to know a little bit more about Mr. Abramson, talk about his podcast. So uh, with that being said, Mr. Abramson, can you tell us how you got into, how, how this love for college football came about for you? Well, it began actually in 1967. Um, the first game I ever watched was a USC UCLA. O.J. Simpson's historic 64-yard run. And back then, it was always Ohio State, Michigan, and USC, UCLA, back-to-back games on an old black-and-white TV. Oh, wow. Then in 1971, it was that game of the century. It was number one versus number two. Yes. Nebraska and Oklahoma. Nebraska walked in with the number one defense and Oklahoma with the number one offense. And my dad, who was a Pearl Harbor survivor, hated college football. But it was Thanksgiving Day. And he, I guess he loved me. And he let me bring the old black and white TV down and we watched <laughs> the game during Thanksgiving. And it was a memory that imprinted in my mind. Wow. So if you couple that with the fact that I've taught 39 years and college is a very special place. Yes. I mean, the hunger that students have to have their ultimate dream come true. Yes. It's a reality show played out. And so if you can superpose that with a game, a competitive game where you walk into a stadium you have intrigue, you have competition, you have 50 to 114,000 fans. But yes. more than that, you, you're watching this game played out before your eyes. And you have a connection with yourself, your fellow students, and previous generations. There's just nothing like it. And it's been that way for, what, 150 years. Wow. Yes, yes. Very good point. As college football celebrated their 150th season just last season, Miami and Florida kicked that season off in Orlando, a game in which I went to. Very disappointing outcome, but it was still a very good game. And the patch, the 150 patch was worn across college football. So yes, very good point. Glad you brought that up. Um, There's something that I wanted to ask you, uh, and that is, I mean, you've been a college football fan for a very long time. You just explained how, and that was a very vivid explanation. Thank you for that. But uh, who is the number one, who is the college team that you root for number one? Who's that college football team that's nearest and dearest to your heart? Well, it's probably a longer answer than you want. So growing up was Ohio State University. Okay. In 1973, the team's tied, and I was absolutely devastated that some athletic directors would vote against Ohio State. I mean, wow. I was so passionate. <laughs> but, but, but here's what happened, Michael. In the late 70s, I started to read about college football, and, and I came across Fielding Yost's 1901 team. First year he was teaching it. And, you know, I teach math, so I couldn't believe the numbers this guy, wow. his team was putting up. He yeah. shut out every opponent. Um, his closest game was 21 to nothing, and he kept shutting out opponents. They didn't score against a Yost team until the end of the second season. Wow. And so wow. all in all, he didn't even lose a game until <laughs> the fifth season. 
So, so I wondered, okay, so back then, because I still was an Ohio State fan. Okay. I, was that just typical back then? Were people running up scores? Was everyone doing it? <laughs> and, and the answer was not, not to that degree, no. In 1888, Walter Camp had one of 11 undefeated, unscored upon Yale teams. Wow. It was absolutely incredible that singular season, but their closest game was 10 to nothing. So at that point, I became a Michigan fan. Oh, okay. And, and maybe, to, if, if I may, just to tie this back to your first question. No, go ahead. I, I started researching in the late 70s. So by the early 1980s, if you fast forward to 1984, Archie Cooley out of Mississippi Valley State ran a run and shoot offense. Oh, wow. Willie Satellite Totten, Jerry Rice, and they were putting up Yost numbers, 60.9 oh, points a game. And I was seeing the numbers again. And this team was just so ahead of its time. A complex wow. offense that defenses just couldn't handle. They uh -huh. had answers for questions that opponents' defense didn't even know to ask. Anyway, <laughs> I, I was hooked all over again. And it probably at that point, it was a Michigan love and a college football love blended together. Wow. Well, you know what? What's funny is as a University of Miami, uh, lifetime University of Miami fan, um, Michigan is one school that I have always appreciated. I don't, I'm not sure if it's their colors. I'm not sure if it's their style of play. Traditionally, we all know, you know, Big Ten football, bruising, line it up, eye formation, and just ram it down your throat. Or if it's their stadium, the big house. I mean, I don't know. All of it together, I just, I've always been a fan of Michigan football. So I like to see them do well. And plus the fact that I'm a 49er fan um, and Harbaugh's there. Now I have special rooting interests. So absolutely. Um, Understood. Understood about that. Um, let me ask you something, because obviously you're, you're a professor over at Arizona State University. I'm a big fan of Herm Edwards, always have been very well-spoken, very eloquent, a very, very good leader. Led ASU to a solid season last year. Can you tell us a little bit about the buzz around campus and the expectations for the uh, Sun Devils this season, 2020? Yeah, I, I don't mean to advocate for ASU, but I, I do work there in the math department, so I have no ties to the football or the athletics program. Okay. With that said, the expectations are huge. Um, Jaden Daniels, dual threat quarterback. Yep. And, and like you said, Herm Edwards, so, so eloquent, I think is the word you used. I mean, how can you not get excited about Coach Edwards? Yes. I, I mean, if he cannot motivate you, you have no pulse. I mean, <laughs> so, and so I think the excitement is at a peak right now. Very well said. Um, yeah, uh, he's just a leader of men and seem to care about, you know, his, his new role because it's completely different. We all know coming from, uh, you know, coaching in the pros where you're literally coaching men and they're getting paid to developing young men or, you know, young men into grown men. So uh, he seems to be excited and players seem to be excited to play for him. And I mean, I, I can't blame him. I'd be one of those guys too. But um, and by the way, you're listening to the Michael McCoy Show here on Sirius XM Channel 145 Slam Radio, and I am joined by Jay Abramson, huge college football uh, historian, I guess, is the, the phrase to use, I mean, to, for lack of a better phrase, and I think that's hitting it spot on, actually. But um, I want to talk a little bit about your podcast, because, again, for anybody that's just now tuning in, Jay has, or well, hosts a podcast and it, uh, you could get the link on his Twitter account. I'm sorry, yeah, the link to his podcast on his Twitter account. And his Twitter at is H-I-S-T-C-O-L football, obviously uh, short for History of College Football. And he has a couple of episodes up there now. And, you know, they're, they're very in, inform, informative. And I had a lot of fun listening to um, the ones that I did, especially episode four. I want to talk about that one because 
And I'll be a little long-winded here just to make sure I get the explanation out and so everybody to understand. But um, I was intrigued by episode four of your podcast when you discussed the history of Georgia Tech football. Uh, why? Well, it's a program which boasts four national championships. And, you know, for anyone that is not aware, their most recent actually came in 1990 when they shared it with the Colorado Buffaloes. And so John Heisman, you know, was a coach for that program. And as a former coach from, you know, 1904 to 1919, he compiled a career record of 186, 70, and 18. A lot of times. Yes, right. <laughs> but 104 of those wins were as a member of the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. You know, coach, he was the head coach at Georgia Tech. So he was hired, a little fun fact, and I know I'm sidetracking here, but he was hired for $2,250 a year, okay, and it included, or on top of that, I should say, 30% of the home ticket sales he got, you know, that was, he, that was awarded to him. All of that was a $50 raise from his Clemson salary. Boy, oh boy, how times have changed. <laughs> uh, a coach which also had a, I'm sorry, a program which also had a victory, the most lopsided in college football history, 222 to zero and even a 33-game undefeated streak under Heisman. So Georgia Tech has all of these things, the national championships, the coach that has a name for college football's most, you know, coveted individual trophy. So um, with all of that put together, why do you think, Mr. Abramson, why hasn't Georgia Tech been able to withstand the test of time and, you know, remain relevant, say, like a school like Notre Dame, who has enjoyed enormous success, but also decades ago, just like... Um, Georgia Tech, you know, Notre Dame is big for what they did in the 20s and the 40s and the 70s. Um, why, why aren't they on the national landscape like Notre Dame when you consider that UGA, a program, you know, separated by 70 miles, their last championship was in the 1980s, all right? Georgia Tech has even more championships than Clemson, the Gators, the Seminoles, LSU, Auburn, Michigan, Penn State, they have one less than Miami, all programs are which have managed to remain, you know, prevalent throughout this entire time. And, um, you know, they're even in a hotbed for recruiting, at least that's what I consider Atlanta to be, you know, a lot of talent in that area. So can you tell us why you think that knowing college football is built on history and, you know, tradition, why, 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 why has it been so difficult for Georgia Tech to maintain that, that, that zest, that zeal? It's a wonderfully articulated question. And, and I did not know that about Heisman's salary. So I, I learned <laughs> something. I, I thank you, sir. No problem. Um, many sides to that answer. Um, okay. Here's one, here's one side. College football has been around for what? 150 years plus. Yes. Georgia's heyday and, and what a heyday it was. I mean, you talked about it. 222 to nothing just begins the story. Okay. They scored over hundred three times in a single season. Okay. They had championships in three different decades. Now, over 150 years, that's actually pretty good. Right. Um, Notre Dame has gone through some ups and downs as well, but their plethora of coaches is unlike any other school. I mean, if you just take a look at, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, if you just take a look at other schools like Alabama, for example, um, a few years before Nick Saban was hired, they were not that dominant. No. And they're the standard bearer right now. Right. Um, you mentioned Clemson. What Clemson has right now with Dabo Sweeney is nothing short of a miracle. Right. I mean, phenomenal. Choose your superlatives. 
But when Clemson wins in three different decades, go ahead and give me a call, you know, because what Georgia <laughs> Tech accomplished, very few schools have accomplished. Right. And Notre Dame, the pinnacle of, of, of college football programs, along with Oklahoma and a few other schools, right. uh, uh, does stand out. I, I will give them that. But if you compare Georgia Tech to, to other powerful programs, they're, they're doing okay. They're doing okay. Okay. Um, they uh, went to the Orange Bowl in what, 2014? Yes. Triple option offense, that was kind of cool. So th th they'll be back, they'll be back. This is a long time period that they were dominant and uh, I, I have good faith. Okay, okay. Well, I mean, I hope so. I mean, obviously as a strong supporter of the University of Miami, the ACC will be, would be even that much greater. Let's say Miami, you know, it looks like Miami's on the right track getting their things together. If Virginia Tech ends up, you know, being the Virginia Tech as they were in the Big East, that'll be huge. FSU, they're low right now, but everybody knows that, um, or everybody was hoping that once Miami and Virginia Tech and FSU joined the ACC, that that would be, you know, a, serious, a conference to be taken a lot more. It, it wouldn't be known as just a basketball conference. Let me put it that way. And um, if Georgia Tech, if they, you know, come about and rise from, I don't want to say the dead, but uh, that would make for a very, very intriguing conference, especially once uh, we return to normalcy next year, you're looking at Miami, Virginia Tech, and let's say, just miraculously, it happens this year. Georgia Tech, they're all in the same division in the ACC Coastal, so North Carolina seems to be, uh, you know, a budding favorite for everyone. So all of a sudden, you're taking a division that everybody was laughing at just a year ago, okay? And if Georgia Tech can come back and, you know, revive what they had back then, it would... Uh, it would make for an interesting thing and quite the 180 for the ACC Coastal. What do you think about that? Well, I, I fully agree with you. And, and then if you actually take that one step further and look at it historically, go back 40 years, you know, it's 1981 when Clemson took a national championship. Okay. Florida State did what? Like 14 years in a row in the top five? Yep. The Miami Hurricanes were so rich with talent. They look like NFL teams, <laughs> like 87 to 2003. What Clemson has done recently, the ACC is really second to no one. Yeah, good point. I mean, uh, we, we're just hoping. I mean, a lot of things have to align. The stars have to align and uh, for that to happen. But, you know, the potential is definitely there. All those schools, like you said, rich tradition. Um, they have the resources. They're in a Power Five conference, so we'll see. Absolutely. But ladies and gentlemen, we're going to step aside really quick. Got to pay some bills. We're going to go and uh, to break, and we'll be back on the other side. You're listening to The Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM, Channel 145, Slam Radio, joined by a very, very special guest in Jay Abramson. So stick around and we'll be back on the other side of the break. Keep it locked. I get it. Your desk has been there for you. Holding up your computer, your unused stapler, and that plant you forgot to water. But maybe it's time to leave your desk and spend your lunch break volunteering with Meals on Wheels. Doing Meals on Wheels for me is the joy that I look for at the end of my week. I'll come to the door with one meal and I'll walk away with a full heart. Drop off a warm meal and get more than you expect. Volunteer at americaletsdolunch.org. That's americaletsdolunch.org. Brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. 180 over 111 and I had a stroke. I couldn't speak or walk. This is high blood pressure. Get back on your plan. Go to loweryourhbp.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. We'll be back with the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Good morning, amigo. Hey, man, if, look, if they pick up Tua Nigga Manuel Apollo too, I'll, I'll be fine with him. 
But I'm just looking. I'm looking at the different angles. It does. You I don't call know. him that. I call him Tonga Vailoa. Whatever you want to call him. Listen, I don't know if they're 100% sold on Tua Nigga Manuelapola. Tonga Vailoa is the next quarterback of the Miami Dolphins. How can you get that name so perfect? Tua Nigga Manuelapola. Tua? I can't do it. I'm done. Tonga Vailoa. Tua Nigga Manuelapola. Tonga Vailoa. Tua Nigga Manuelapola. Tonga Vailoa. Tua Nigga Manuelapola. Tonga Vailoa. That sounds much better that way. Good morning, amigo. Weekdays from 7 to 11, only on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and whatever. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Now we're back with the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for sticking around with us throughout that last break. You've been listening to the Michael McCoy Show here on Sirius XM Channel 145 Slam Radio. Hope everybody is having a great Monday so far. It was a great weekend of college football. We'll talk more about college football in the following segments, but we still have a lot to get to with Mr. Abramson. Uh, college football, I'm going to go ahead and call him a historian, uh, as a professor at ASU, for those of you that kind of missed out on, that may have missed out on the first segment, and the reason he's on this show, one of the reasons he's on this show is to talk college football, the rich history of it. He has a podcast, uh, History of College Football. You can find that on Mr. Abramson's Twitter profile, at H-I-S-T-C-O-L football, obviously short for History of College Football. I recommend you take a listen to it it will take you back it will open your eyes it will give you a a bigger or more of an education quite frankly on the history of the sport because i mean there's always room for growth and learning about college football i mean if you love history you love the sport this is the account to follow so thanks for sticking around with us mr abramson thank you sir i greatly appreciate this time with you not a problem same here the feeling is mutual so uh i want to stick um, not stick, I'm sorry. I want to have a couple more questions here to answer for you to answer. And um, this is, this is the, the crux of the interview. I was waiting to get to these because um, I, had a lot of, I had a lot of fun getting these questions together for you. So um, you've been a college football fan for a very long time. And I mean, one of my goals when I retire, whenever that is, is to follow college game day around the nation. I just want to take one season, have my whatever I have, RV, camper, whatever it is, and just follow them to each city just so I can uh, watch great games and go to great venues. And with that being said, can you tell me one or two or maybe even three of some of the greatest games you remember ever watching? Some games that made you say, wow, that is just top three of all time. Can I give you the top four in descending order? Please. Um, and again, this is very sh- subjective. Okay. Um, mention the year and the pause. And then if you want to think back to the year, maybe you could fill in in your mind what you think I'll come up with. Okay. But at number four, I'd probably put 1974. Here's the pause. And it's USC 54, uh, USC 55, Notre Dame 24. Ooh, okay. And at the one. end of the second quarter, Notre Dame was up 24 to nothing. And Anthony Davis scores a touchdown. And I'm watching this game, and I'm sitting there thinking, oh, it's a blowout. And at the beginning of the second half, Anthony Davis runs a touchdown back. And I'm thinking, this may be a game. It's now 24-14. And the reason why it's number four on my list 
is the Trojans reeled off 55 points in 17 minutes. Wow. And again, I go back to the numbers. I mean, I teach math and I'm thinking, if you extrapolate that out, isn't that like 220 to nothing all over again? Oh I mean, it's just God. amazing. <laughs> For number three, um, year is 2006, kind of a deliberate pause. Huh? I think and I it's going here. Yeah, Texas, USC, the national title game. Because okay. at the time, yes. both teams undefeated. USC was touted as maybe the greatest ever. And then yep. Vince Young pulled out the performance of a lifetime. Yes, he did. Uh, really number two, is. number two, sir, 1971. And uh, Nebraska comes in with the number two defense, Oklahoma, the number one offense. Game of the century, yep. 35 to 31. And I watched that game and thought to myself, as everybody did, if Oklahoma had the ball again, they would have scored. And I think you can make a reasonable, not a, not a good one, but a reasonable argument that these were the two greatest teams ever. I mean, it was just a phenomenal game. Yes. Which brings me to number one. And the year was 2007, kind of recent. But it's the Boise State-Oklahoma game. The flea yes, flicker. I was watching. Oh, my God. You watched that. Flea yes. Flickers. Remember Statue of Liberty? And then oh a proposal God. after the game? Oh, it was a game for the ages. A uh, little man takes down big man. One yep. moment after another etched in time and all of about. 70 seconds. I mean, it was just something I'd never seen before. Uh, doubt I'll ever see again. It was something out of the movie Little Giants that was just Very like well they well were said. supposed to win. And then to cap it off, you have Ian Johnson proposing to his cheerleader girlfriend on the side at the end of the game. That was literally storybook and like a Cinderella ending. That's exactly what, what a that great was. what a great quote storybook. I love that. Yes, sir. yes, yes. yes. Um, I remember that game. Wow. That was a really, really good. One. There have been so many and I know that it was kind of putting you on the spot, but we've all seen great games. You mentioned uh, number four on your list was Notre Dame USC and I remember watching the Bush push that game. Oh, yes. That was a great, great Notre Dame. That game was so good. I remember USC uh, they, if I'm not mistaken, they entered that game and uh, ranked number one. May have been two, but I want to say it was number one. It was a top, I want to say top 10 matchup, and I think Notre Dame was around eight. The next day that the rankings came out, Notre Dame didn't even drop. That's how good of a game that was. Did not know that. Yeah. I remember jumping out of my chair at the, pu at the push, though, by Reggie Bush. <laughs> it was Absolutely. a great game, and I remember, I don't know how true it was, but you, um, Notre Dame tried to slow down. There was a rumor and about Notre Dame trying to slow down USC's speed and how they didn't cut the grass in that stadium for like a week uh, to make it a little bit tougher <laughs> for the athletes to slow down USC. Again, I'm not sure how accurate that is, but I remember hearing it. So, I had not um, heard that. Fascinating. No. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was a great game. Um, in your opinion, moving on to the next question. Again, you've seen a lot of college football and the best that I've seen they're probably not going to be the same as the best of you've seen. So who is the best? Maybe I, I would like to hear top two, but if you got more than that, I get it. Best college football player you've ever seen. Well, I have top two, and then I have a third that you may not be aware of. Okay. But let's go with the top. They're both running backs. Okay. Uh, number one, and, and no, it's not Barry Sanders. Okay. Um, you know, three 300-yard games in a five-game stretch, 7.6 yards per carry, about 2 million yards that season, right? But, but, but he would be two for me. Okay. For me, the greatest college player I have ever seen was Greg Pruitt, wow. Oklahoma. 
Okay. Nine, 9.4 yards per carry on the number one, on the number two team in the nation. 9.4 yards. When you look back at the record books, nobody's close to that. And if you ever want to Google his runs, I mean, it's, it's Barry Sanders light, if you will. Wow. I mean, really? It's, okay. It's incredible. Um, so Sanders would be two. Okay. And my third is, I, and you may be aware, I, I don't know, but there's the one and only quarterback Brooks Dawson out of UTEP. Have you ever heard okay. of him? Okay, good one. Yeah, he opened the game against New Mexico in 1967 with six touchdown passes on his first six throws of the game. Oh, my God. But, see, that's not enough for Brooks. So, the next year, he comes back against uh, BYU. Okay. And throws for 304 yards in the final 10 minutes of the game. 304 that's... yards in the final. I, it, he did things that were never done before. Wow. And, and I, I doubt will never be done again. I'm glad we hooked up because it's things like this that I was never aware of. That's that's what we call video game stats. Like <laughs> video you'll probably games be able to pull that yeah. off on an Xbox or a PlayStation. But uh, <laughs> for myself, um, there have been you know there have been plenty. I've seen a lot of guys play both sides of the ball. But if I had to pick one, the one that sticks out the most to me, and um, he had a very accomplished career. I mean, although some things were removed after the fact, but Reggie Bush on the field oh, yeah. oh my god he was just amazing to watch i mean you couldn't yeah. catch him from behind he was a super duper athlete on a super duper team i get that helped his cause but still he did things on the field that were barry sanders ish okay to me barry sanders is the greatest running back that i've ever seen play in the nfl didn't get the chance to see him play that much in, or not at all in college i was too young to remember but um Reggie Bush, man, was probably the best college football player I've ever seen. And I'm hoping that somebody else changes my mind because, I mean, this sport is so great. There's going to be a long list of everything. But I wanted to ask you, uh, best stadium or best venue that you've ever watched a game at and maybe one that you've always wanted to go to that you haven't been yet? Uh, I've watched the game at best stadium. I was on my bucket list. I took my youngest son. Interesting story, actually. I don't know if I want to hear it. But I took my story of my son, his name is Dig, um, to Ohio State, Michigan, in Michigan. Oh, the big and, house. Yeah, the big house. And it was what I wanted to do. It was, it's, it's on my bucket list. So we go to the game. And, and the backstory to it is uh, I'm just living the day of my life. I mean, here I am with my youngest son. I have three children. This is my youngest son. Uh -huh. we, we go to the game. We hang around the stadium. And, and at night, we, we go back to a pizza place. And the Iron Bowl is on. Oh, my gosh. And Alabama's setting up, this is a true story. Uh, Alabama's setting up and there's TV on in the, in the pizza parlor for a 57 yard kick. Time runs out, except a dozen, because Nick Saban calls a timeout. He puts some, some backup kicker, it's a true story. And the kicker kicks the ball, he probably knows what's gonna happen. And our Uber comes. And it, clearly this kick is short, so we get right. into the Uber. And we get into the Uber and we come out of the Uber and we go into the hotel. And people are talking about the most incredible game they'd ever seen. And we're thinking, Ohio State, Michigan, this is on my bucket list. Man, it was a good game, but it wasn't to that degree. And they were talking about the kick six. Yep. And yep. we walked out as the ball was kind of clearly oh, going short. We never saw it. <laughs> Amazing. That's one that I also was – I remember that. And I was – I forgot whose house I was, but I was in their living room. I wasn't home that day. And um, I just – I couldn't believe it. Um, that's literally something that never happens. So you saw it live. Yes. I admire you. I wish I did. <laughs> trust me, there are plenty, there are plenty moments that I've missed, but I remember watching that one. I didn't, I'm not going to sit here and say that I watched the whole game because I did not, 
but I remember keeping up with the phone, with the game on my phone, and I'm thinking, okay, okay, and that just happened to be in front of the computer. Sure, sure. I'm sorry, the TV, and there she was, and wow. You caught that it. Just, That's great. My jaw dropped. That's great. Speaking of venues, I mean, you kind of already answered the question. Um, the Orange Bowl, she was a special, special, special place. Um, that was where my love for college football started. And by the way, you're listening to the Michael McCoy Show here on Sirius XM Channel 145, Slam Radio, and I'm joined by my great host, Jay Abramson, and we are just talking a lot of college football history, folks. So um, catch the show on the podcast later, <clears throat> excuse me, if you were not able to uh, catch the first two segments. But um, the Orange Bowl, she was a beauty. She was rustic. She was old. She didn't even have a replay board, okay? Uh, it was a horseshoe-type build of a stadium and she would literally rock and sway ask Lou Holtz ask Barry Switzer ask those guys the stadium would breathe and if you would look up you would see the uh you know look up in the rafters and you would see the the stadium lights just moving you know to and fro and it was just like we gotta get out of here <laughs> we gotta get out of here um I wish you were able to watch the stadium uh, I'm sorry a game in that stadium because she hosted great Super Bowls uh, great college football games, college football championships, and man, that that's that's one thing that I'm glad to have uh, to have experienced. Really, incredible, absolutely incredible. I've never been there myself. I've stood in front of it um, for reasons similar to what you've mentioned, just the iconic nature of it. So we we visited it, uh, but but never entered it for a game. Would would have loved to. Would would have loved to. Um, that leads me to ask you about tailgates. Because, I mean, she had some epic tailgates. Miami's known for tailgating, not known for tailgating, but it's known for having some very good tailgates. It's different because we're Miami. We do things different. But um, I've heard Ole Miss has great tailgates. Uh, Auburn has great tailgates. LSU, I mean, the SEC all throughout. What's been your best, I'm sorry, tailgate experience? The Ohio State-Michigan game. Okay. Um, as you walk toward the stadium, there's like this big old golf course field thing. Oh, wow. And it's just covered absolutely covered with, with, with maize and blue everywhere you look. Uh, the iconic wing helmet flag is up. I'd never seen anything like it. I mean, coming from ASU, recent years, I've been there since 99 at ASU, tailgating is, is passionate, but you okay. park in a parking lot and as you walk to the game, you just see different people parked outside their cars or sitting with tables. This was different. This was of a different magnitude that I had never seen before. Wow. I superimposed the fact that it's probably 12 degrees out, uh, <laughs> the ground is frozen, and people just don't care, and they are just having the time of their lives for hours before the game. Uh, no, nothing like it, good sir. Nothing wow. like it. Uh, that, that's definitely one that's on my bucket list, along with the Iron Bowl, um, several, a bunch of games that I would like. I would like to go to the Rose Bowl and just see anybody play there. It doesn't matter. But um, let me ask you this. Mine right now, in terms of best uh, or favorite college football announcers to hear, Call game. I love Fowler and Herb Street. I think they're great. Absolutely. But I have to say, I mean, uh, Keith Jackson is I probably all, everyone's, you know, all time or in their, in their top three. But I really miss Vern Lundquist. I really miss hearing his wow. voice on CBS. And I remember his last uh, broadcast when, his, when he said goodbye to everyone. And if you didn't shed a tear watching that, then as you referred to earlier, um, you probably don't have a pulse because he thanked his wife who watched all of his or joined him for all of his travels throughout that last season. And um, I miss him a lot. With that being said, who's your favorite college football broadcaster? Yeah, you could have heard the passion in his voice. I remember that to this day. Yes. Um, I, I think both Fowler and Herb Street are, are phenomenal. Um, informative, very yes. informative. Uh, that's what I, I, I like about them so much. 
for me, it's it's just picking between, and you mentioned one of them, Keith Jackson and then Brent Musburger. Oh, be, Brent Musburger was great. It'd be like picking between love and respect. Like, <laughs> you know, yes. I love Brent Musburger, but how do you not respect what Keith Jackson has done for the sport, for the media, for, I mean, he was the iconic voice of football for decades. Absolutely. For good no, reason. Absolutely. Yeah, Brent Musburger. And there's, like I said, there's so many. There's so Brent many. Um, fun. I mean, Gary I just Danielson's very fun. good. Oh yeah, um, he's he's articulate. Yes, yes. There's there's a bunch, and uh, I'm I'm willing to see what the next. I'm waiting to see what the next wave of them is because these guys. I mean, they're nowhere near the end of their careers, but um, there's a lot of young talent out there. Kirk Kirk Herbstreit being one of them. Um, we've seen a lot of ups as we talked about. Uh, you know, the Boise State and the OU Fiesta Bowl upset in 07. Jared Zabransky, you know how he won that game. Uh, driving his team down the field, his offense down the field. What are some of your top or most memorable upsets that you've ever seen? The, the one in my lifetime. So I, I guess I would have two answers. The one in my lifetime, the, 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 the game that just to me def, simply defied imagination. Like I, I couldn't believe it. Um, in 1974, Barry Switzer takes over Oklahoma. Okay. And, and, and you know, Texas came up with the wishbone. Uh, Oklahoma perfected it. I mean, that's, that's kind of one way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. And he had an absolutely lethal version of that wishbone. Um, so he goes undefeated, just runs through everybody in 1974. So 1975, okay. he's doing the same thing again. And I remember waking up, I was like maybe four, 15 years old at the time. Okay. And, and, you know, I wanted to see a whole bunch of games. This was not even on my radar. And Kansas 24, Oklahoma 3. And Oklahoma, everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. Oh, wow. Turnovers, seven and one half. Oof. Um, and it was just something that you couldn't grasp. It, it okay. reminded me of Buster Douglas taking out Mike Tyson. It's, it's oh, wow. Yeah. You know, <laughs> out of the blue. But, the, but, but if you had to pick one, it would have to be ending the 47 game streak. Notre Dame beats Oklahoma in 53, Oklahoma mm. ties, then goes 47 games. Wow. Without a loss, yeah. And then Notre Dame takes him out seven to nothing, um, in 19, I think it was nineteen fifty-seven. That I guess that would be the iconic one, the pinnacle, you know. For so many, there's just so many in every so division of college football. As a hurricane, yes, I mean, yes. um, one of see- them, one of them, Butch Davis, when he you know was bringing the program back from you know sanctions and everything in nineteen ninety-eight. Uh, wow. UCLA comes down to the Orange Bowl, a game which I had tickets to and did not go, unfortunately. <laughs> Um, the game was rescheduled because Hurricane Francis was in the neighborhood in September, and then this was literally like the last game of the season. You number two UCLA, all they got to do is win against lowly Miami, who just got the floor wiped with the week prior with Donovan McNabb in the Carrier Dome, losing to Syracuse, and they end up being the number two UCLA Bruins, led by uh, Edron James, two hundred and ninety-nine yards, which is still a program record. And uh, UCLA has been the same since. <laughs> no, I think they, yes, I, I do agree with that. And Butch Davis was on that coaching staff for that 87 Hurricane team. That yes. was a who's who of NFL talent for coaches. Yes. Evie Johnson, Butch Davis, Dave Wonsett. I mean, what a figure he was. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe the D-line coach was Ed Orgeron on that team. So Really? Yeah, yeah. There's, uh, there's quite a the coaching okay street under Jimmy Johnson. He did okay for himself. Yes, it was. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it was. But, um... 
Mr. Abramson, when I tell you that it's been a super duper pleasure, it's an understatement, but um, I wish we had a lot more time. I just got to get over to the next segment and pay some bills. But as I uh, mentioned earlier, I hope this is not the last time that you come on, uh, on the show. Well, thank you. I, I must say you're a phenomenal host. I, I would love to come back. Okay, I, great. I thank you for your time. Awesome, awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, stick around throughout this next break and we'll be back on the other side. Uh, you're listening to The Michael McCoy Show here on Sirius XM Channel 145 Slam Radio. Keep it locked. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and whatever. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. 180 over 111 and I had a stroke. I couldn't speak or walk. This is high blood pressure. Get back on your plan. Go to loweryourhbp.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. We'll be back with the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Good morning, amigo. So that Never one makes a little more sense. Backwards, not even to get... How do you even, like... Well, hold on. That might be actually difficult to... Para atrás ni para coger impulso. Don't even go back a step, to, even if it's just to go forward. It seems Always like it's a long forward. explanation. Yeah, it's hard it to... It seems like you have to forward. write... It sounds like two, 250 words. Explain this sentence. That phrase needs an instruction manual. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning, amigo. Weekdays from 7 to 11, only on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. I get it. Your desk has been there for you, holding up your computer, your unused stapler, and that plant you forgot to water. But maybe it's time to leave your desk and spend your lunch break volunteering with Meals on Wheels. Doing Meals on Wheels for me is the joy that I look for at the end of my week. I'll come to the door with one meal and I'll walk away with a full heart. Drop off a warm meal and get more than you expect. Volunteer at americaletsdolunch.org. That's americaletsdolunch.org. Brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Now we're back with the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. All right, gang, thank you very much for sticking around with me throughout that last break. You're listening to the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM Channel 145. And that was a lot of fun talking with Mr. Jay Abramson about college football and the history of the game and how beautiful the game is and, you know, him, his experiences as a fan. Uh, been actually a college football heavy show spoke to marsh thomas before that and so with a little bit left in the show i figured we get into some stick with football but then we got to uh, obviously talk about the nba finals so we'll go ahead and do that but thank you very much for mr abramson we really appreciated your time there um definitely won't be the last time on the show so uh with that being said Week five of the NFL season, I'm sorry, week four of the NFL season is underway. I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, was underway yesterday, and um, COVID news dominated the headlines in the middle of the week last week, and it threw a wrench into some team's plans. So uh, instead of your traditional one Monday night football being, I'm sorry, one Monday night football game being played tonight, there's going to be two of them because there was a Sunday game that was scheduled for yesterday that was pushed back due to COVID. Uh, Pats at Chiefs were supposed to be played yesterday, but due to Cam Newton, 
my starting fantasy quarterback, and Kansas City's practice squad quarterback, Jordan Ta'amu. Uh, they test, both of them tested positive for COVID. So the game was pushed back today at 7.05 p.m. Uh, Falcons and Packers is the other game. That will kick off at 8.50. So we're getting a double dose, and I guess, you know, it's not so bad from a fan standpoint. We obviously hope that everybody uh, that tested um, positive is okay. But then, you know, the big news came, the bigger news, I should say, came uh, earlier in the week when Tennessee and Pittsburgh were supposed to be playing yesterday. But now that game is has been rescheduled to be to be played on week seven. Why? Well, the Titans had a COVID outbreak after the game last week and eight players along with six well eight players and 16 in the organization tested positive then on sunday yesterday it was reported that another player and someone else within the organization tested positive not looking good for tennessee now the league's getting involved and they're going to look into whether or not tennessee violated covid protocols and measures and if so we'll see what happens with that but i mean it's kind of scary if you put yourself in the position of uh, future opponents I mean are you even going to want to play these guys I mean I get it they test positive everything should be okay but you never know with this disease man you never know with this virus and what it uh what it entails or it's brand new it's not even a year old and obviously we're still learning a lot about it so I don't know man it's just a scary situation and What's going on? We saw what happened with Major League Baseball when they first came on. You know, the Marlins had an outbreak. And then um, the NBA has been absolutely flawless. And I mean that in every sense of the word with how they've taken care of this COVID issue. Now, what, we, we haven't heard a peep in terms of COVID outbreaks, in terms of, uh, you know, the bubble going on there. And we'll talk about NBA hoops in a little bit. But that's what's going on. Uh, I wanted to go over a few games. Uh, we'll get into scores later. But just a couple games that really piqued my interest yesterday. And I want to start off with the Browns at the Cowboys. The Browns winning that game 49-38. to 38. Man, I mean, that, that just sounds weird. You know, Dallas having Super Bowl aspirations going into the year. Uh, Dak Prescott, you know, and his contract talk and him betting on himself and him wanting more money. Dallas is 1-3 now. Uh, all the talk with Baker Mayfield having to, you know, turn things around and the Browns are looking good for now. Uh, let, let's get into that game because it was it was a barn burn. It was entertaining. First quarter, you got Jarvis Landry, right, to Odell Beckham. A touchdown pass from, Lar- from Jarvis Landry to Odell Beckham, the two college teammates from LSU. So how did that happen? Only like this. Uh, so... You know, Landry to Odell happened off of a halfback toss to the right, okay, while Jarvis Landry came from the wide receiver position on the end around, took the toss from Nick Chubb, and then he throws an absolute dime to Odell to go up seven, uh, for the Browns to go up seven to nothing, right? Dallas answers back twice after that, and um, after one, it's, it's, it's Dallas 14 to seven, all right? In that first quarter, get this, in that first quarter, Dak Prescott was 10 of 11 for 174 yards, two touchdowns, okay? That's, that's, that's almost perfect. I mean, that's like, that's, that's, that's what you want out of your quarterback. So after, after one, it's 14 to seven, right? So here's another stat for you. Points off of turnovers. 
entering Sunday. So Cleveland has scored 31 points off of turnovers, which is good for most in the NFL. Dallas, on the other hand, on the other end of the spectrum, they allow the second most points off of turnovers with 31 in the NFL, also 31. So no bueno, no bueno for Dallas. So this is exactly what happened. A turnover took place after Miles Garrett's strip sack and uh, Cleveland scores to make it 21 to 14. So they, they do what they're supposed to. They, I'm sorry, they do what they're supposed to do and they do what they've been doing all throughout the season, converting off of a turnover. 21-14 now, right? Well, let's fast forward to the third quarter. 38-14. And guess what? It's the third straight time that Dallas trails by 14 or more um, this season. So here we go. They start their comeback. After two more touchdown passes by Dak Prescott and a converted two-point conversion, it's now 41-38 Cleveland, all right? But hold on. Odell Beckham strikes again, this time with a 50-yard touchdown run to make it 47-38. to That's just insane. I mean, this game was really entertaining to watch. I didn't watch it. I have to admit, I didn't, I didn't get to watch this game. But just looking at the highlights and, you know, the storyline going into it or after it, it was absolutely entertaining to, to have watched. The highlights in, its, in and of itself were entertaining to watch. So this is the type of day it was for Dallas, okay? Cleveland lines up for the extra point after that Odell touchdown. It gets blocked, and somehow the ball finds its way into the end zone for a two-point conversion. And then Dak Prescott ends the game with an interception, and that's all she wrote. Dallas goes down 49-38. to I want to talk about Odell Beckham really quick. I still happen to think, I don't care what anybody says, I know that Julio Jones is in the league, and, you know, you got, uh, uh, what's his name over in Arizona? Um, uh, Hopkins, DeAndre Hopkins, you know, those are those, those are the guys that are pretty much uh, considered the top receivers in the league. And of course, you got Mike Evans with Tampa Bay. But when Odell is on his game, whenever he's healthy and whenever he's engaged, number one, that's the most talented receiver I think I've ever seen play. And I think that's still the best receiver in the NFL when he's on and he's engaged and, you know, willing to play and ready to play and his mind is there. I think that is the most unstoppable force you can throw to as a quarterback in today's NFL. I mean, that guy has the best hands ever. I think he has the best catch we've ever seen, you know, of all time as well. So that's how I feel about Odell. Um, Browns 49, Cowboys 38. Another game that I found interesting, and we're going to do this every week on the Michael McCoy Show because we always have the Patriots, well, not Patriots, but Tom Brady versus Bill Belichick outlook. So automatically, we're always going to look at what Tom Brady does over and send, I'm sorry, over with uh, Tampa Bay. They win this one 38 to 31 against the uh, against the Chargers. All right. So Justin Herbert, 22 year old rookie out of Oregon, rookie quarterback out of Oregon. Uh, only reason he's starting really is because Tyrod Taylor, remember, he had his lung was punctured by a team doctor a few weeks back. And so he hasn't been on the field, but Justin Herbert is looking good, ladies and gentlemen. He really is for a rookie and uh, so good that Dolphins fans are now looking at their team's losing situation and wondering if it's two a time or not. You know, you, you got to start to wonder about that. Dallas, I'm sorry, not Dallas, but Dolphins losing their home game yesterday against uh, the Seattle Seahawks. We'll talk about them in a little bit, but um Brady, 43 years old, going up against his 22-year-old counterpart, throws his fourth pick six in the last six games, 
Prior to that, he only had four pick sixes in his last 101 games. So go figure. The Bucs go down 24 to 7 in the second quarter. They do make it 24 to 14 at the half. So it's 31-28 in the fourth quarter. All right. Justin Herbert throws a pick to end the game. Patriots come all up. Oh, I keep saying Patriots. I'm sorry. Tom Brady leads the uh leads the Bucs all the way back. And they win that game uh, 31 to 38. This is the second largest comeback in team history. It's Brady's fifth career win after trailing by 17 points. You want to know what strikes me crazy about this game or about this team is nobody's have nobody's heard about Rob Gronkowski this year. I mean, if that isn't the biggest decoy in NFL history, I don't know what is. But I mean, like, wow, what is going on with Gronk? Like, you know, you hear about OG Howard, he scored a touchdown uh yesterday and he's also out for the rest of the season ruptured his achilles so speaking of gronk this may be his time to shine this may be it but tom brady 30 of 46 369 yards again five touchdowns okay and um justin herbert the the rookie quarterback out of oregon again starting in place of tyrod taylor he goes for 20 of 25 okay really good game in that regard uh 20 of 25 for 290 yards three touchdowns and a pick. So he's looking good. Um, I want to talk about, I want to talk, and again, the Brady Belichick watch that I like to do. We really won't get to see what uh, the other half of that equation is doing, because like I said, New England is going up against KC today in the uh, one of two Monday night football games, 705 kickoff time. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the Michael McCoy show on Sirius XM channel 145 slam radio. I want to talk about the MVP watch. There's a couple guys on my radar. Uh, all quarterbacks, what's new? You know, go figure. But between Russell Wilson, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, those are the guys right there that, you know, are my Heisman. Not Heisman, I'm sorry. <laughs> Still got college football on the brain. Are my um, MVP front runners? okay? If the award was to be given, you know, today or whatever those are the guys oh and i apologize for the background noise there those are the guys that are going to be looked at if if if, you know if i had a vote russell wilson 925 yards on the season so far 14 touchdowns okay one interception 308 passing yards per game this is the kicker 76.7 completion percentage that is unheard of. That is what you call command of your offense, control of your offense. Uh, just a team leader, knows what he's doing, knows the playbook inside out. He's a dangerous quarterback, man. He's been a dangerous quarterback ever since he stepped foot on the NFL field. Uh, scrambles to throw. He doesn't scramble to, to run and make a play. He scrambles to make a play down the field with his arm. That's what makes him most dangerous. And in the clutch, this guy is one of the best I've ever seen. I mean, he just, as a San Francisco 49er fan, let me just say, trust me on this one. The guy is an absolute terror at the end of games. Two minutes is too much for him to drive down the field. One minute is enough. One timeout, no timeouts, doesn't matter. But um, he also have uh, he's also has his team undefeated, 4-0 with wins over Atlanta, New England, Dallas, and Miami. Josh Allen, second-year quarterback. How about him? 1,038 yards on the year. 10 touchdowns, one interception, 346 yards per game on average, 
71.1 completion percentage. Also has the Bills at 4-0 with wins against the Jets, the Dolphins, the Rams, and the Raiders. The Raiders, as uh, (laughs) Chris Berman would say. Um, He's probably the guy that's doing the most with the least. Because remember, Buffalo was going into this year. Everybody was talking about their defense. Nobody was really talking about Buffalo's offense. And if you were talking about Buffalo's offense, it wasn't the quarterback situation. It wasn't the passing game. It was the running game because Devin Singletary is a baller. Zach Moss, uh, rookie out of Utah, um, running back, local guy. Well, not local guy, from Fort Lauderdale, Broward guy. Uh, He's in the backfield there, so that's another one. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, 898 yards on the season, nine touchdowns, zero interceptions, 299 passing yards per game, 67.8 completion percentage, also has his Chiefs undefeated 3-0, uh, with wins against the Houston Texans, the Chargers, and Baltimore, all right? Um, he plays tonight against the uh, the Patriots at home. Again, that kickoff at 7.05. Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, guys. Yes, that Aaron Rodgers that nobody wanted to talk about. Everybody thought was out of the, you know, just out of it. Nobody wanted to talk about the Packers heading into the season uh, in terms of contenders in the NFC. Everybody was talking about the Niners, Bucks, uh, the Saints. Nobody was talking about the Packers or the Seahawks, which is crazy considering all the offseason moves that the Seahawks made. But Aaron Rodgers, 887 yards, nine touchdowns, just like Mahomes, zero interceptions, just like Mahomes, 296 passing yards per game, just three shy of what Patrick Mahomes is averaging, 67% completion percentage, also has his team at 3-0. and Okay, with wins over Minnesota, Detroit, and the Saints. So there's that. And ladies and gentlemen, I just want to bring to your attention the number one overall pick in the and in this past NFL draft. Okay, Joe Burrow got his first win yesterday as a pro. And he's looking pretty good because for the third game in a row, he has thrown for over 300 yards. That is the first rookie in NFL history to do such a thing, to throw for 300 yards in three consecutive games. So keep an eye on him. He looks like a player. And uh, I'm going to step aside really quick, come back talking NBA basketball because the finals, ladies and gentlemen, have taken a turn. So we'll we'll be right back. Got to pay some bills on the other side of the break. You're listening to The Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM Channel 145 Slam Radio. We'll be right back. I get it. Your desk has been there for you, holding up your computer, your unused stapler, and that plant you forgot to water. But maybe it's time to leave your desk and spend your lunch break volunteering with Meals on Wheels. Doing Meals on Wheels for me is the joy that I look for at the end of my week. I'll come to the door with one meal and I'll walk away with a full heart. Drop off a warm meal and get more than you expect. Volunteer at americaletsdolunch.org. That's americaletsdolunch.org. Brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and whatever, just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. We'll be back with The Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Good morning, amigo. I mean, really, it really apologist. comes down to... I'm going to make an apologist image for you, bro, because uh, everything that I say, you like, oh, but LeBron had to do this, and you he had to jump over a car. Isn't LeBron's the king? And again, LeBron jump over the Empire State Building? He probably could, but why probably, would he do but it? But why doesn't he jump over the Empire State Building to win a slam dunk contest? 
Good morning, amigo. Weekdays from 7 to 11, only on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. I couldn't speak or walk. This is high blood pressure. Get back on your plan. Go to loweryourhbp.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. And now we're back with the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Guys, we're back. Final segment of the show. Glad you stuck around with me throughout the entirety of it. Hope you've been entertained. Uh, again, a lot of football content, college football content, heavy on that to start the show. Talked a little bit of NFL football in the last segment. Now we're going to get into the NBA Finals. But before that, I have to talk about something that I found extremely, extremely funny. And I think you will, too, if you're a Michael Jordan fan. You might not, so if you're one of these LeBron stands, but it's still funny, okay? So, you know, I'm, I'm browsing the internet yesterday, and I run across, <laughs> I run across this article, okay, in uh, fadeawayworld.net. Oh, my God. Holy, holy, holy crap. So, <laughs> excuse me, I got to get, get these laughs out of the way because it's just, it's just hilarious. It's just hilarious how people just dismiss greatness. And I don't understand why you would do such a thing, especially considering when you clearly don't know the history of the NBA. Uh, if you have been following the show throughout its entirety, you were with us. Uh, with I'm sorry, you were with Jay Abramson and I and talking about the history of college football. And it is so important if you're especially if you're a pro athlete to know the history of your sports. Okay, and if you're a fan, to know the history of your team, know the history of your sport, so then you don't pull a Nick Young, okay, swaggy P, and sound like a complete idiot when you go talking about basketball or said sport, whatever sport you want to talk about. What are you talking about, Mike? Get to the point. Get to the point. Okay, I said all of that to say this. The headline reads, again, uh, article by Orlando Silva in fadeawayworld.net. I'm sorry, on fadeawayworld.net. NBA fans destroy Nick Young after he says Michael Jordan never played against superstars in the NBA Finals besides, quote-unquote, an old Magic Johnson. Nick, oh, Nick, dude, you've already made a fool of yourself on the court several times. I'm not talking about, you know, your skills as a player. I'm not talking about that. What I am talking about is, you know, your decision-making. You've, you've, you've made a couple of bonehead plays there. But this is what he said. He tweeted this. To me, MJ never went up against a superstar besides an older Magic in the finals. He's played against stars this the first time ever, Braun playing against a non-superstar team in the finals. I don't know what he was trying to say there. I literally read it verbatim. I am not illiterate. I'll read it again. To me, MJ never went up against a superstar besides an older Magic in the finals. He's played against stars. This the first time ever Braun playing against a non-superstar team in the finals. Okay, I had to slow it down and dumb it down arena like a kindergartner because there is absolutely no punctuation here. I mean, it's just horrible, that tweet. And I know there's no Twitter rules, but goddamn, Nick. Um... What I mean by superstar 
is KD, Curry, Duncan. People that are top three in a position ever. Oh, boy. He got attacked. He got attacked because, you know, people started firing back. And here's one of them. Here's <laughs> MJ beat Magic in 91, one year prior to Magic winning MVP. MJ also faced Drexler, Barkley, Malone, and Stockton, Gary Payton, Akeem, Shaq, the Bad Boys Pistons. Are you saying he faced no superstars? Were you high when you said this? <laughs> Another response that I found absolutely hilarious. Uh, let me see here. Put down whatever you're smoking. Brush your teeth and go night-night. Karl Malone, Barkley, Stockton are all in the Hall of Fame. There was no superstar when they played Dallas since Dirk was not top three in his position. That was just a response, you know, to his tweet. But here's one that I really like. And this one I found, you know, very insightful because unless you, you know, you look back at it and, you know, you know the age of these guys, you just, you wouldn't know any better. Spike Spiegel <laughs> response to Nick Young saying Magic was 31. That's younger than KD is right now. Laughing my ass off. MJ beat them boys and put on a show while doing it. Nick, man, come on. Come on. He defeated half the dream team, man. Kevin Cottrell responds to him. So he took a beating, all right? Uh, another response, Magic Johnson, Clyde Director, John Stockton, blah, blah, blah. Uh, then if we're talking pre-finals, it's worth mentioning Mark Price, Patrick Ewing, Reggie Miller, Penny Hardaway, Shaquille O'Neal. The point is, Nick, just, just be quiet or go home. Don't do that to yourself please, because this is what happens. You end up having to delete tweets, maybe even go on Twitter hiatus for a while. It's not fun when your mentions are blowing up and you look like an idiot in them. Come on, Nick Young, do better. Um, moving on to more important things. I had to get that out of the way. Uh, man, these NBA finals, everybody had, you know, the heat, you know, done after two games. And I mean, I kind of did too. I know better because I've seen... We've all seen, if you know, you follow sports long enough, we've seen crazier. But 2 nothing, the series isn't over. But the way the Heat have been playing, the way they seem to have been outmatched, especially with injuries to two starters in Bam Adebayo and uh, Goran Dragic, you, you had to think that, you know, something miraculous had to happen. And it kind of did. Jimmy Butler said, I'm Jimmy Butler, guys. But speaking of Jimmy Butler... I want to make a comparison. I don't think anybody is paying attention to, but it's a good comparison. All right. I want you to listen to me and I want you to listen to me. Well, Jimmy Butler, okay, is an upgraded version and a better version than Latrell Sprewell, but he's the same player. He absolutely is. Before you knee jerk, before you call me, I'm out of my mind. Listen to me, because the last thing that I'm going to bring up are statistics, okay? That's the last thing I'm going to bring up, because I could obviously go to statistics and say, oh, see, they're the same player. But I'm not even going to do that. I'm going to say that to last, all right? For those of you that maybe don't remember or never got a chance to watch the Trust B. Well play, play, the man was an athlete. The man was a dog. The man was relentless going to the paint. The man was an attacker, very good defensively. Uh, 
could never really be a number one player on a team, a number one option. We'll put it this way. If he was your number one option, you probably, you know, you probably weren't going to be that much of a threat because, you know, the man was an all-star, okay? As a matter of fact, Latrell Sprewell was a four-time all-star, okay? He was the, he was on, he was all NBA in 93-94, uh, 93-94 all defensive team and 92-93 all rookie. So we're talking about a guy that, you know, he's an accomplished player, okay? Latrell Fontaine Sprewell is who we're talking about. Now, my dad uh, used to be a Knicks fan. My dad doesn't even care for the Knicks anymore. I don't know what happened to that. But, uh, you know, back in the day, Allen Houston, you know, Latrell Sprewell, Patrick Ewing when he was starting to fade, uh, Charlie Ward, former Heisman winner, um, you know, that team right there, they were going up against the Heat, and those series were, oof, they were wars. Uh Back then, the Heat were being coached by Pat Riley and obviously Stan Van Gundy. Well, Jeff Van Gundy, I should say, sorry, was coaching the Knicks. And Latrell and Allen Houston, you know, they were on that team. Latrell is so, or I should say, was so right-hand dominant, I can't even remember him using his left hand. I can't remember him finishing with his left hand. And it was crazy because, you know, you figure a guy that's so one, one-handed like him, how it should be, it should be easy to stop him. No, Latrell was a bucket getter. And what, what was good about his game is when, when he got hot, boy, it was a show to see. Because the last thing you want an athlete to get going is his jump shot. And that's exactly what happened when Latrell would get hot. You have an athlete that can blow by at any given moment and he's hot. You have a problem guarding him. Jimmy Butler is that guy. Everything that I just said right now about, about Latrell Sprewell being a good defender, okay, getting to the paint, because Jimmy is an attacker first. He's not known for his jump shot. Can he shoot it? Yes. Is he effective? Yes. But if you're guarding Jimmy Butler, you want him to shoot a jump shot before you want him to go to the paint. You just do. That's that's what you want, okay? That's the best way to defend him. Try to keep him in front of you, all right? But just like just like Latrell, and again, remember, I called him an upgraded version of Latrell Sprewell. And by the way, you're listening to the Michael McCurry Show here on Sirius XM Channel 145 Slam Radio. Uh, Jimmy Butler uses his left hand more than Latrell does, but he's still super right-hand dominant. I mean, just 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 watch him. Just watch him, all right? And then go back and watch some Latrell highlights, okay? Um, both guys, fierce competitors, okay? When Jimmy gets hot, as he did last night in game three, going for a triple-double, 40 points, uh, he barely missed. I think Jimmy missed – I think he missed on four – four shots from the field. I'll get into that box score in a little bit. But Jimmy was great. Jimmy was great last night against the Lakers. And um, they're the same player, man. The only really difference is their build. And even that is kind of similar because you look at them, they're, you know, they're wing defenders, they're wing guys, tall. Latrell Sprewa was, I have it right here. Where is he? Or at least I thought it did. I'm on a, I'm on a, uh, basketball reference and it really only has their stats it really doesn't have their measurables but if i remember correctly latrell was six five a buck 90 pushing 200 at best okay jimmy has him by two inches and like 20 30 pounds okay because jimmy's a good six seven uh between 220 225 all right that's jimmy so jimmy has him in that regard but everything else it's the same thing. Okay, I'm taking Jimmy over Latrell because, like I said, upgraded version in that he is. He does make his teammates better. Um, he's a better decision maker. 
He's probably a better shot maker. Um, probably has a more consistent jumper. But um, you're the same player, man. Now I'm going to get into statistics, okay? Now I'm going to get into statistics. Check this out. Latrell Sprewell, his best season, scoring-wise, okay? Scoring-wise, his best season came in 96-97. His uh, second-to-last season as a member of the Golden State Warriors, he was an all-star that year, played in 80 games, scored 24.2 points per game, all right? And he shot 35% from beyond the arc, okay? Guy was 24 a game. 24 a game. That's, I mean, that's that's solid. That's an all-star. You fast forward to his time with the Knicks, okay? His best season scoring-wise with the Knicks, and he spent one, two, three, four, five years with New York. His best season scoring was in 2001-2002, uh, 19.4 points per game. Mind you, they went to the finals. The Knicks went to the finals in 1999, and his first year's, his first year with the Knicks, 16 points per game. Second year with the Knicks, 18 points per game. Let's do Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler, my favorite player in the NBA, all right? And trust me, this goes back to his days in Chicago. You guys know that. Five-time All-Star, three-time All-NBA, 2014-15 Most Improved Player, four-time All-Defensive Team, okay? Jimmy Butler's career high. Remember what Latrell's was, all right? Points per game, Latrell's was 24.2. Jimmy's is 23.9. Okay, and that came as a member of the Bulls. All right, right now his first and only season with the with the he's averaging a shade under twenty, and these are regular season numbers, of course, nineteen point nine. But I mean, these guys are they're mirror they're 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 identical. They're they're mirror they're they're mirror images of each other, and um, I, I just I, I just wanted to put that out there because it's something that I noticed just watching them play. All right, watching them play, and it's just. Sometimes Jimmy gets stuck because he's so right-hand dominant that he'll, he'll dribble himself into a bad situation, and then he has to go airborne to pass. And that's the worst thing you can do in basketball is go airborne to, to pass the ball. But, you know, whatever, he's doing that sometimes. But um, finally, and I'm sorry I was so stuck on that topic, but got two minutes to talk about the actual series. <laughs> so Miami comes back 2-1, to one, pisses off LeBron James in the process. And so uh, – we have a series. This is all that we wanted. We didn't want any, at least not me. I don't want anybody to get swept. Uh, I wanted a good series because coming off of last year's NBA finals, I was completely pissed off to see Toronto win because I mean, they deserve it. They did what they, they, you better win when you have two, three players on the other team, starters, superstars out with injury. So obviously they did what they were supposed to do. But I mean, if you're going to sit here and tell me that a healthy golden state warriors loses that series to, Toronto, then, I mean, we can't be friends because that's just not a thing. Um, so that's what I wanted. I mean, after two games this series, you want to know what this NBA Finals was reminding me of? The 1999 NBA Finals, when the Knicks were, I think, the only eight seed in NBA history to make it to an NBA Finals. They went up against a team in which they were completely overmatched by the San Antonio Spurs. Tim Duncan, David Robinson, Sean Elliott, Avery Johnson, those guys, okay? Um, and they completely just dismantled the Knicks. The Knicks, uh, again, an eight seed, were playing like they didn't even belong there. And that's exactly what was going on with the, with, with the Heat, playing like they didn't belong there, all right? 
And then Jimmy Butler happens, triple-double, okay, completely takes control of the series, I'm sorry, of the game, with a little trash talk. Game four is going to be interesting because if you guys caught that, uh, Jimmy Butler uh, walking back to the to the huddle right after a timeout was caught on camera saying, you know, it's over and, you know, you guys are in trouble. You guys are in trouble. And when asked about it in the press conference, he said, oh, I was just responding to LeBron James because he was telling me it's over in the first half and that, you know, we're through and it's done. And so, listen, this may – this may be something that is worth watching. And uh, I mean, the, the NBA finals always are something worth watching, but we may have something on our hands here. And I mean, think about it. The Miami Heat were down 0-2 in the 06 NBA finals. And some guy from Marquette by the name of Jimmy Butler, I'm sorry, by the name of Dwayne Wade comes back and, you know, wills his team to a championship four games in a row. Does that sound familiar? Because last time I checked, the Heat were down 2-0 in the 2020 NBA Finals. And some guy by the name of Jimmy Butler from Marquette University had a big game to bring him back. Guys, I'm telling you, pay attention to this series because LeBron doesn't like to be out-punked. He was uh, – well, doesn't like to be punked, all right? And he was definitely punked uh, last night. So this 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 is going to be intriguing. This is going to be interesting. But um, I wish I had more time to go in depth about that series because I had a lot more to say, but I am out of time. My bad on that. Hope you enjoyed the show, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back next week, same time, same place. Stay safe and um, hashtag wear a mask. You've been listening to the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM, channel 145, Slam Radio. Have a great week, everyone. The views and opinions expressed on the Michael McCoy Show are entirely those of the hosts, guests, and callers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Slam Radio.